have a jar here with a nectarine pit inside. I kept telling the table, you don't want to open that. I just, just finished it this morning. But I want us to use our imaginations a little bit this morning. Imagine that somehow this nectarine pit could talk and it began tapping on the, the jar. And so I opened it and said, uh, what's up? And uh, the, the nectarine pit, as I know, nectarine pits can be planted and grow and produce nectarine trees. But I just want to tell you, I want to stay in, in this jar uh, because it's, it's scary out there. But I, I, I Google some stuff about seeds online and I, I, I try to share what I learned with my friend, the nectarine pit. I, I say, hey, you need to understand that after two to three years, your, your possibilities of germinating are going to drop significantly and they will eventually fall to, to zero. So it says that stocking up seeds is not a good idea because they don't last forever. But he argues back. He said, I hear you, but I just like it in here because it feels safe. Could you please screw the lid back on and just leave me alone up on the shelf? Thanks for going with me down there. You know, that nectarine pit may feel safe, but a couple other things are going to happen. It, it is going to know the deepest depths of loneliness yeah. trapped inside this jar. It will carry the, the emptiness of never having fulfilled its purpose. And one day, as I warned it, it will die forever. The, the day of choosing will have passed. I think about that and I think about something Jesus said in John chapter 12 verse 23 as he approached the cross he said the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified truly truly I say to you unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies it remains alone but if it dies it bears much fruit he goes on to point out to his guys this is not just about me it's about you too he says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will, will keep it for eternal life. That was from John. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn back to Matthew with us. Matthew chapter 16. Last week, you remember, Jesus told his disciples that as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he must suffer, die, and, and rise again. And Peter rebuked him. Verse 22, remember Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And we talked about why Peter likely did that. He, he had an incomplete understanding of what Messiah meant. He loved Jesus. But you remember what happened if he was expecting a thank you from Jesus, he, he would have been surprised. Jesus rebuked him back. Right, verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Today's passage, as we go on, we're going to see these things of man further defined. And one more reason I believe Peter rebuked Jesus. 
I believe he was sensing something in what Jesus was saying here. He sensed that if the leader walks a hard road to glory, those who follow him will do the same. And like every one of us in the flesh, Peter wanted nothing to do with that. He wanted to stay inside his jar, put, put the lid back on, Lord. The idea of a suffering Messiah is about to get very personal for his disciples then and now. I want you to look at Matthew 16, 24. It says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, that word anyone's important. We can't imagine this, this challenging road of discipleship to be just for a certain group of Christians. It's for anyone, everyone who would, who would follow him. If anyone would come after me, and then he, he's going to say three things. We're going to break them down. Let him deny himself. William Hendrickson helps us understand the tenses in the Greek. He said, what Jesus is saying here is, if anyone wishes to be counted as an adherent of mine, he must once and for all say farewell to self. And many have pointed out, this is more than just giving something up for a week or two, like, hey, I'm not going to have steak for a week or two. This is denying the self itself. It is to take self off of the throne of my life and enthrone Christ there as the Lord of my life. I think about this and I think about what Paul said in Romans 12. Romans 12, 1, he said, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's saying, I told you in chapters 1 through 11, everything God has done for you in Christ. Now in light of that, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And what kind of sacrifice did he say there? Living sacrifice. I've heard it said, and you probably have as well, there are a lot of people that, that say, I would die for Christ. There's a lot fewer people who, who can say and truly mean, I will live my life. For Christ. And I think about that call to put ourselves on the altar, and I think about a lesson we can learn from Abraham's son Isaac in the Old Testament. Ever wonder what was going through Isaac's mind during all that? Like, we know he had some questions, some back and forth with his dad. We know one of the names for God in the Old Testament is the fear of Isaac, and I always think it probably had something to do with this moment. Wow, this is a God who's high above us and does not always operate according to our ways. But as you read through that chapter, one thing I never see is Isaac wrestling with his father Abraham. I believe Isaac submitted to his father Abraham in trust, even in that dire moment. And I think about that example, I think about how key it is for the believer to trust our heavenly father as we present ourselves on that altar, that though, though suffering will come, he loves us. 
He's in control. And he has a good plan for his children. I want to ask you the question this morning. Have you ever had that moment where you surrendered full control? Full control of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are we running around that altar kind of playing hide and seek from God? Or not this part, God. Not this part. You can't. No. I heard some lyrics this morning that said, God does bring beauty out of ashes, but something has to burn first. Say, how does this sacrifice play out on an ongoing basis? Paul goes on in Romans 12, too. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Satan wants to use this world like a, a cookie cutter in your life. And mine. He, he wants to shape you into the mold of this world in a thousand and one different ways so that you and I look no different than the culture around us. He says, do not be conformed to this world. God's plan is different. When you offer yourself on the altar, it looks like this. He says, be transformed. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You say, how? I want to know God's good will and I want my mind to be renewed. Psalm 119, 105, straight into the point. Your word, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Our minds are renewed as we spend time in the Bible, God's Word. As we meditate on it and allow the Spirit to apply it in our moment-by-moment life. Psalm 119.112, the author says, My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Is that where your heart is set this morning? Is that where my heart is set? His living word transforms us. And as we talk about how that takes place, I want to talk to you about two key words in the life of the believer. One is reality, and two is choice. I want to talk to you about the reality for the believer in Jesus Christ first. We, we read it in Romans 6.6. 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him. That's reality. For the believer, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That's the reality in the life of the believer. More reality that, that we read from Paul. 2 Corinthians 5.18, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. How many of you, though, if I asked, do you believe those, you'd say, yeah, but you'd say, but, but there's still a battle going on. And I would say, amen, in, in my life, too. Until we reach heaven's shores, there is a battle between the new creation we really are and our flesh. That's where we move from reality to choice. There is a choice to make in light of that reality Moment by moment. That's why Romans 12, 11, Paul says, you also must consider 
yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What's that mean? You come to that temptation, that crossroads. Husband, you're tempted to be unfaithful to your wife. He says, right then, you consider it to be true that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. And though your flesh is crying out to leave and be unfaithful, you remember what he said. I'm not my own. I was bought at a price. He caused me to glorify him with my body. And you turn around and go home. You consider it to be true at that moment. You see, we choose in this fallen world as believers what we set our minds on. I think about this in Romans 8, 6. Is to set the mind on the flesh is death. You can camp on what the flesh wants to do and fill your mind with that, and what you watch, what you listen to, where your own mind goes. It's death. But to set the mind on the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is life and peace. And I imagine that. And I, I think of our lives, if you imagine your life as a hose, a hose through which liquid flows. And, and you see a wall on the back of your house and it has two spigots. One says flesh and, and one says spirit. The choice we have to make moment by moment is based on this reality that what flows through my life depends on what spigot my mind is hooked up to. We can hook up to the flesh spigot and let that sewage flow through our lives. Or we can hook up to the spirit spigot, yield to him and let his life and peace and truth and, and righteousness lead our steps. I think about this denying of self and how it goes against everything our world says. You do you. You only go through here once. Do what makes you happy. And I think of examples of people in this church who, who deny themselves for, for the kingdom work. And I could give a hundred examples, but I think about people with our kids right now. Pouring into those kids and not sitting here with us. I think about the, the team that comes in here and sets up all these chairs every week and, and tears them down after. Flesh doesn't tell you to get up and do that on Sunday morning. I'll tell you that. People put our signs out there on the road and pick them up even when it rains, as it might do today. Thank you. I think about Daniel and Scott down on the square. Flesh doesn't say, hey, go down to the square for hours, not know if it'll rain or not, and, and pour into other people. Flesh says, it's Saturday. <laughs> I got a nice, soft couch. Nothing wrong with rest. Don't, don't hear me wrong, but when God calls, Calls us to follow it often means denying self. Take up his cross. That's the second one. Deny self and take up his cross. Anyone who follows me. Hendrickson breaks that down. He says, you must decisively accept pain and persecution for Jesus' sake and for his cause. Take up his cross doesn't mean put on that necklace like some of us have today. And in that culture, they, they knew very well what it meant. You pick up that horizontal cross beam, the, the, the criminal, 
And he would carry that heavy crossbeam down a road often lined with, with onlookers who would mock, spit, perhaps throw things on the individual because after all, he's a criminal. I want to tell you something. There are times where if you follow Jesus faithfully in this world, the world will mock you. And maybe worse, are you willing to walk that road? I think of a, a song that I was listening to recently by Ashes Remain, a song called Criminal. They write, by your side, whatever may come, guilty by association, put me in chains and lock me away. I'm living by every word you speak. They come for you, they come for me. Won't say a word in my defense. I will not give in. That's the heart of a Christ follower. As he or she takes up their cross. But what happens? We live in a world where it's very tempting to be silent. Is it not? It is so tempting to be silent. Eric Metaxas challenged me on this recently. He's an author and he, he was using lessons from the German church as the Nazis rose to challenge the American church. And he brought up something very interesting, that as Hitler was on his rise to power, there were about 18,000 churches in Germany. 3,000 of them actively sided with the Nazis. They had their flags flying in their churches, for example. 3,000 of those 18,000 churches chose to speak out against the evil that was sweeping their country. But here's where his challenge came in. The 12,000 in the middle remained silent. Why do you suppose that was? Because they're like you and they're like me. The flesh hates suffering. He said, American church, learn from that. Take up your cross. So does this mean I have to go looking for suffering? Like, am I telling you to go out there and find a way to suffer this afternoon? No. No, I like what G. Campbell Morgan said about this here. He said, suffering is not even the deepest thing. The deepest thing is that I cooperate with the purpose of God. That means we are content whether he appoints blue waters of the lake and sunshine. You can enjoy God's good gifts. You can enjoy a game night on Friday night without guilt. We're content whether he appoints blue waters of the lake and sunshine or a Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. We can choose contentment either way. And, and it comes down to the question, will I be faithful? Whether I'm having fun or even if it costs me dearly. He says, take up your cross. Third thing he says is, follow me. Hendrickson helps us again with the tense right here. He says, must then follow and, and keep on following as my disciple. It's not just that moment 30 years ago when, when you placed your trust in Christ. I like what James Boyce said here. He said, following Jesus is, is not only a door, it's a path. It's a path. 
you think about these three calls and you say, why? Why would I do that? Everything in my flesh says no. It's in that little word, me. See, who you follow makes all the difference. It says, follow me. Follow me. I heard a story that broke me down, true story, of a Christian musical group that, that went into a prison to do some ministry. heard this at Hope Fest last night. Maybe some of you heard it too. They, they went to this prison in Alabama and they have a stage that was about 10 feet tall to keep the ministers and the performers away from the prisoners. And this group, this Christian group went in and, and they had kind of a warm-up song. It, it wasn't a fancy song. It wasn't well written. It wasn't their hit. It was just a way to warm the crowd up. And, and as they sang that warm-up song, the men in the musical group went down and started shaking hands with, with the prisoners in the room. And after they finished what was just a warm-up song to them, that, that room clapped and clapped and, and wouldn't stop clapping. And the, the ministry teams wondered, why are they clapping? That's just our warm-up song. So one of them went up and asked one of the guys, he said, why are you clapping for what's just a warm-up song? You know what that guy said? He said, in the 10 years Christians have been coming here to minister to us, you're the first group that got off that stage and came and touched us. Wow. He said, that's why we're clapping. Now I think about that and I think about a savior. King of angels. Worshiped by angels for only God knows how long before he's step down into this world to touch sinners like you and like me. Does that not provide all the motivation we need to follow? He led the way. He goes on. As you ponder this choice, he gets straight to it. He's going to let us know that this decision is urgent. It's urgent. We shouldn't leave here this morning without making a decision here. And its ramifications are eternal. Verse 25, he says, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Think about the urgency of what Jesus is saying here. I think about James 1.14. James says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and, and then, then vanishes. How many of us know that sometimes, maybe especially when we're younger, we, we live like this world will last forever? We may know up here it doesn't, but, but we sure live that way. Like this is going to last forever and this is all there is. Let me put it in astronomical terms. Maybe we imagine we're like planets wandering for, for ages and ages 
Sometimes as we get older, something happens. We realize we're less like the planets and more like the meteors some of us saw last weekend, just before dawn. Think about a meteor. Those rocks zoom into our atmosphere, sometimes at 44 miles per second. Per second. And almost as soon as you see one, it fizzles out. And it disappears, burned up by the atmosphere of this world. And I want to lovingly warn you this morning, there is a very similar danger in the spiritual life. Paul talks about it in Philippians 3.18. He says, many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I would not be much of a pastor this morning if I did not ask you, are you clinging on to this temporary world this morning? And you're saying, I want to remain Lord of my life. I want to call the shots. That's why I refuse to put my trust in Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, you are going to lose out in the next life, which is eternal. Matthew 16, 25, he says, whoever would save his life will lose it. You say, why is that? Because the one you refuse today will be your judge tomorrow. Listen to what he says in verse 27. The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Now, those of you who know your Bible, saying, hey, I thought salvation was by grace through faith. What's this? Repay each person according to what he has done. Good question. I believe what's going on here is the fruit of your life reflects where the faith is placed. You trust it in yourself and the things of this world, your fruit will show it. If you trust it in Jesus, in the truest sense of that word, your fruit will show it. How many of you grieved with Hawaii when you heard the news about the wildfire that swept Maui. Took over 100 lives. We had people in this church that knew people there and were waiting for news back. Over 100 dead and many more missing. And you know what some of the early headlines said? There was no warning. There was no warning. How tragic. Jesus will not make that same mistake of no warning. This is his loving but sobering warning. And it, as you think of his repayment, it, it reminds me of 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 6, as he looks to his glorious return. There Paul says, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, believers. He's going to repay them with affliction and to grant relief 
to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I want to ask you a central question this morning. When the Lord returns in his glory, will you be repaid with affliction and eternal destruction or granted relief on the day of his glorious return? It all hinges on what you do with Jesus Christ in this life. You see, there's really, we call it the gospel, the good news. It is the best news ever here as well. Matthew 16, 25, he, he says the flip side of the equation. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You come in here burdened with sin this morning? Wondering if you can have a relationship with the Father and eternal life in heaven? Acts 10, 43, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Matthew Henry said it this way. He said, though many have been losers for Christ, even of life itself, yet never anyone was or will be a loser by him in the end. Kind of a mouthful, old school way of saying, you can choose whether you want to be a loser for Jesus here or a loser for all eternity by rejecting him. As we prepare to wrap up, I, I believe there's people in this room hearing this and saying, man, I want to be a faithful disciple. God's tugging on my spirit this morning. But you're saying, what does that even look like what does a faithful disciple look like? Well, here I'm thankful for a man named Max Anders, an author who I have a lot of respect for. He, he wrote a chapter for believers titled, Just What Does God Expect From Me? And at the beginning of the section, he said this. He said, there are five things and only five things that God asks of each individual. Now, those of you who know your Bibles, you're saying five? He goes on, he says, all the teaching sections of the Bible and all the commands can be fitted into one of these areas. This is what a faithful disciple looks like. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number two, love others as yourself. Number three, esteem yourselves properly. Now, some of you might struggle with that because that's been abused. What's he talking about? Realize that every person that walks this planet, including you, is created in the image of God. That alone gives you value. Realize that God saw you as valuable enough to send his own son to die for you. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you are or more lowly than you are. Four, be a steward. What's a steward? A steward is someone who realizes nothing he has is his own. He manages the resources of another. 
time, talent, possessions. We steward it for the Lord. Last but not least, be a servant. Be a servant who puts others' needs ahead of their own. Now, how many of you, you're hearing that list and you're saying, who of us could do that on our own? And I'll be the first to say, not me. Not me, not a one. Let me ask you another question. Do you know anyone who did and can live out that list perfectly? Jesus Christ. God the Son. You see, that's why before he talked about the path of discipleship to his guys, he told about his own road. What Peter needed to know, and so do we, is the cross, the the resurrection, and the ascension were necessary because there is an inner revolution that needed to take place in our hearts if we were ever to follow this Messiah. We needed forgiveness. We needed new life so he could live his life in us. Just think about some of the verses on this theme. What did Jesus say in John 15, 15? I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. John 16, 7, he told his confused, hurting band of followers in that upper room, it's to your advantage that I go away. I'm surprised Peter didn't interrupt him here. What? How would it be to their advantage? For if I do not go away, the helper, the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you so that my life could be lived in you, right? That's, that's what the Spirit comes for. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We can only walk this path through Christ in us. When Luke talks about it, Luke 9.23 says, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Daily. It's it's a daily choice when I get up in the morning. Well, I take up that cross. But there's a daily to balance the challenge of that. I read it this morning, Psalm 68, 19, another daily. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. Do you see it come together? God is our salvation. One other thing Max Anders pointed out. And I think this is important in our world, this hurting. These five aspects of the disciple's life, by God's grace and mercy, also meet the deepest needs that, that humans have. Do you know that? What are people looking for? Belonging? True significance, purpose, why why am I here? That's something this world needs. You probably heard the CDC's report that 2022 had a record high of 49,369 suicide deaths coming after modest declines in 2019 and 2020. Almost 50,000. 
we live in a world desperate for belonging and significance and purpose. I, I think about how it recently touched our own congregation. We have a fellow in our church who's not here this morning. All of you on the prayer chain were praying for his cousin. Two weekends ago up on Mingus Mountain, his cousin Michael was missing. There were drones out searching for him. Young man in his 30s. They said they suspected he went with suicidal intent. Keith called me later in the week and said that was indeed correct. The drones found Michael's body. We live in a world that needs the hope of Jesus Christ. Anders goes on to talk about how a walk with Jesus meets these deepest needs. Let's talk about belonging. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have a moment-by-moment walking relationship with the only one that can fill that God-shaped hole inside. You have his unconditional love that sent his son to the cross for you. And he says you are accepted in the beloved. You, you belong. What about loving neighbors as yourself? Guess what happens as a byproduct of that? You step out of the loneliness and find all of a sudden that you have meaningful friendships. Something this world is so hungry for. What about that significance? We talked about that a little bit already. You esteem yourself properly. See yourself as God sees you by his grace. You find true significance. What about purpose? Why am I here? I'm a steward. I'm here to steward everything I have for God and his kingdom. And I'm to serve him and all those around us as purpose. That's the message you and I get to to take to a world in need of hope. Listen, salvation is free to us. Cost Jesus Christ a great deal. You talk about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why we need him in us. I had lunch with Jay the other day. He couldn't hold back the tears. He's talking about Jesus on the cross, the Son of God who said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in Hebrews, he said he, he endured the cross for the joy set before him. And he, he brought out how we often think about the joy of redeeming you and I, and indeed that's part of it. But, but he also brought out the other side of that joy. He knew he was doing the will of his Father. That's how much he loved him. And he looked forward so much to being back in heaven once more with him. Salvation is free, discipleship is costly, but the joy is untouchable. The joy is untouchable by this world. The company is out of this world, and the rewards will last into eternity. You talk about that joy, it reminds me of when I was dating Carolyn. They had an acronym made out of construction paper at the wall of their house that had some of the essentials of discipleship right there. J-O-Y, Jesus first, others next, yourself after. Joy. As we conclude, I want to go back where we started, John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I wonder this morning if there's anyone in here saying it's time for me to open the lid and allow the master to use me as he wishes. Lord, I thank you that we don't have a savior who who beats around the bush. He gets right to it. And we live in a world that sometimes even in the church we're tempted to hide these realities away. Jesus never did. We want to follow him. We confess the ways even this week we've fallen short of that. We confess our need for the Savior. We thank you for the grace of the Savior who led the way, our forerunner, to that cross. As we prepare to remember that sacrifice through communion, I pray that we would just be flooded with a sense of deep gratitude for a Savior who went before. And I pray if there's anyone in this room that fell into that group that said, yeah, I came down, came in here, weighed down by a weight of sin and condemnation and guilt, believing I could never have a relationship with God. God would never come down to touch me. Remind them there was a Savior who, who did come down to seek and save the lost, draw them to the cross, help them cry out in their own words, Jesus Christ. I need your sacrifice on that cross to wash away my sin. I receive that sacrifice for my sin. I believe in your resurrection for victory in my life. I believe it's through you I can have a relationship with the Father. I invite you to be not only my Savior, but my Master, my Lord. I want to follow you. I want to deny myself. I want to take up my cross and follow wherever you lead. In Jesus' name, amen.